Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by worship pastor Lizzie Bailey and was recorded on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. And you could also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you could join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Lizzie. Good morning, friends. So good to see you. Welcome to you. Glad you've joined us this morning. Welcome to you if you're watching online as well. Uh, Before we jump in, we're going to be in Luke 1 just to give you a heads up. But will you pray with me before we jump in? Lord, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you came for us, that you love us, that you came near and stepped into the story. Um, We thank you that you are present with us even now by your spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word and help us trust you more, help us understand uh, who you are and what you've created us to do and be. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Well, I was a homeschooled teenager. I don't know if y'all knew that. Uh, which meant I had a lot of time on my hands, which meant I played a lot of music. And so I had a lot of big musical dreams as a young person. I wanted to play piano, be competitive, travel the world, you know, be adventurous and romantic and had all these big dreams as a teenage girl. Uh, Something I did not dream of was getting married at a very young age and then having a lot of kids in rapid succession. Um, But if you know me at all, you know that's exactly what I did, which is kind of ironic. Uh, And so what changed about my dreams and my plans for my life is that I was singing at a church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I looked out in the audience and there was a young man with white hair. It was the late 90s. And he caught my eye. And after just a couple of conversations, I was just suddenly reimagining my whole life. And I was imagining things I'd never imagined and thinking, maybe I don't want to be a wild, crazy gypsy musician. Maybe I want to get married. And so I had an encounter that adjusted my thinking that made me want to reorient things in my life. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, something that just kind of grabbed you and, and change it, changed and shifted the orientation of your life. Um, we're gonna read this morning about someone for whom that happened. So even a little more profound than meeting a dude in Arkansas. But, uh, so we're gonna look at Luke chapter one. I'm sorry, ushers, y'all were so kindly passing out Bibles and I didn't explain what you're doing. If you need a Bible, our kind ushers are passing them out. If you don't have a physical Bible and you'd like one, please take this as a gift from us to you. It's also gonna be on the screen, so you can just watch that if you want. So reading in Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, now, quick note, this is six months after the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and told him this miracle was gonna happen, his wife was gonna have a baby. So this is six months later, okay? So Gabriel was sent by God to a village of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, Nazareth would have been a very small village, just a few hundred people. It's a farming community. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, Mary was likely just 14 or 15 years old. That was a common age for girls to get engaged and married at that time. And she was just doing the normal things that other girls her age did. She was living her life. She was going along, uh, doing her thing. And then suddenly she's confronted with this amazing news, this angelic being who's speaking to her, who's using this language that is messianic language, where he says, he'll, you're gonna have this child and it's gonna be the son of God and he's gonna be holy and the most high. And, and her head has to be spinning. So how does she respond to this that is happening to her? Well, we know there's fear because the angel says, don't be afraid. In general, I think angelic beings don't put people at ease, at least uh, not at first. But Mary's also thinking. She's engaging her mind, her brain. Uh, because that, that phrase there that says she was trying to discern what was going on, it means she was applying logic. She was reasoning. She was like, okay, what, what is happening? What are you saying? She knows who God is. She's heard the stories her whole life of who he is and the miracles that he did for her people. And, and now she's living in this Roman-occupied nation where her religion is suppressed, her people are oppressed by the Romans, and they're, they're hoping and praying that a deliverer will come and free them and let them be who God intended them to be. Um, this is surely not the way most people thought it would happen. Um, but so Mary's thinking about all these things and I love that she, she has a question and she asks the angel a very logical question. Um, I don't know how I'm gonna get pregnant. I don't think it works like that. But, um, but that's okay. It's okay to have questions. I think she's, she's leaning into what is happening more than she's pushing back against it. You know, she, she's thinking, she's, she's wanting to understand more fully but she says, after he explains, her response is a response of faith. She says, yes, yes, let it be to me according to your word. I love the humility that we see in Mary. You know, I love the faith that she is recognizing God is in this and he's working and he's doing something. She does not fully understand, surely at this point, but, but she says yes to God anyway. So let's pick it up, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
Now, we don't know how Mary and Elizabeth are related. I'm guessing Elizabeth was like her great, great, great aunt. Maybe she was very old. Mary was very young. Um, but the fact that it says she quickly went to go see Elizabeth, she is, she is walking toward what God is inviting her to. She, she doesn't fully understand this, but Gabriel told her, he said, okay, you're gonna have a baby and he's gonna be the Messiah. And by the way, since we're talking about impossible things, your very old relative Elizabeth is pregnant, which was like, what? So she immediately gets her stuff together and goes to Elizabeth's house. They likely would not have had time to communicate. They lived several days journey apart. And so, but, but Mary wants to know, is this true? Did I hallucinate? Did this really happen? So we see this pattern of her receiving this information, kind of processing it, asking some questions, leaning in, and she could have responded in many ways. She could have blown it all off as a hallucination, um, gone about her day, gone about her life, but she's, she is stepping toward what God is inviting her to. She's full of faith. So she goes to see Elizabeth, and as soon as she greets Elizabeth, this is what happens. This is in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Don't miss that. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary believed. Mary had faith that God was speaking, that God was real, that he was inviting her into what he was doing. And her answer was yes. So what's happening right now with Mary and Elizabeth is that heaven and earth are colliding. I mean, the God who created all things, who, who spoke into the void and made all the things that exist and, and spoke order into chaos is reaching toward these two ordinary women who are just going about their lives and he's inviting them into what he's doing in the world in a beautiful, magnificent, profound way. And their, and their response is yes. Mary's response is yes. I don't understand this fully. I don't know what this is gonna mean but I, I can see that this is true. What Gabriel said is true. Mary, I mean, Elizabeth is pregnant. There is nothing impossible for God. So her faith is igniting. She's walking toward what God is doing. And, and she says, yes. And then look at what happens next. This is so amazing. In, in the middle of all this crazy stuff that's going on, the uncertainty that she must be feeling, the questions that she must have, how is this even gonna work? She chooses to worship. Her faith, the stories that she knows of God, what she knows of him, she's calling that to mind and she starts speaking with her mouth in worship. Look at verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant and behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. So what Mary is doing right here is her heart is igniting with faith and she is fixing her eyes on her maker and she is worshiping. She's recalling who he is. Look at this. He's recalling uh, that he's mighty, that he's done great things, that he's holy, that he's merciful, that the things he promised to her ancestors, he is fulfilling and she is part of it. And she's just marveling that this is even happening. I think this is so important for us to understand that even in the midst of questions we may have, even in the midst of hard things we are experiencing, uh, we are invited to worship. Instead of focusing inward and looking at all the problems and the concerns and the questions and getting bogged down in that, we can choose to worship just like Mary did. Because the person we're putting our trust in has proven himself trustworthy. So that's, this is what Mary is doing. Uh, rather than sitting and focusing on her question, she focuses on the God for whom she knows nothing is impossible. So she worships and she says these beautiful words about God. Her and Elizabeth are having church. It's amazing. So what next? You know, Mary, we see this pattern. She's going about her life. She receives this information. She believes it. She steps toward it. She asks questions. She engages. She receives affirmation from Elizabeth. Yes, it's true. Yes, God is working. And she's like, I'm in. Whatever you say, let it be to me according to your word. That language is surrender. That language is faith. So what next? What did it look like for Mary to say yes to God? Did it mean that now everything was just dandy in her life? Everything was smooth? No way, man. She had to go back and tell people, well, I was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Do you think people are going to be like, oh, that's great, Mary, congratulations. (laughs) No way, man. They They could do math in the first century. They knew. Wait, they moved their wedding date. What? Can you believe that? Can you believe what they're doing? I, I got married when I was 18. I know, it's weird. Um, I had my first child, Ezra, 11 months later. 11 months. And, but it was so funny because we, we would work in churches at that time. And so we had all these conversations. We'd be talking to people and be like, oh, your baby's so cute. Oh, yeah, where are you from? How old's your baby? Now, when did you get married? <laughs> they're just like doing the math. You know, for us, it's not as big of a deal, but then it was a very big deal. This is reputation ruined kind of deal. Mary's yes was costly. Her yes meant a lot of inconvenience was coming her way. She was about to have to do this long journey with Joseph being pregnant. She was gonna give birth in a stable, the cave. Nobody wants that. Um, but she, didn't, she, she would rather trust God. Than, than have all of these things the way she thought they should be. She was willing to lay down her plans and say yes to what God had, trusting that he knew better than she did what was best for her life. Uh, as I've been studying Mary and meditating on her, I thought a lot about my mom. My mom is an amazing, amazing person. She had nine children. I'm one of nine. We were that weird family. Uh, but she, when she was having her seventh child, I was 13 years old. And I remember just shortly after he was born, he was just a few hours old. And I was sitting with my parents and I was just looking into his sweet little face. And um, I said, you know, he kind of looks like those people, you know. And I was trying to describe it. I didn't have the vocabulary. 
Uh, but my dad did, and he said, he said, he kind of looks like those people who have Down syndrome. And I was like, yeah. I kind of felt the air go out of the room because we didn't know, and I don't think anybody had said out loud what we were all thinking. And, uh, but sure enough, my brother Boaz did have Down syndrome and does have Down syndrome. And so I remember those early days of my parents uh, discovering this and kind of adjusting to that information, processing that, what would it mean for their family? There was some fear, there was some anxiety. Uh, they had not raised a child with special needs before, so they had a lot of questions. And I remember my mom in particular, my dad both, but, but my mom said, you know, we trust God. I believe that he has appointed me to be this child's mother. I believe he made him. I believe he loves him. And so her answer was yes to being Bo's mom. And so she started to learn. She started to read things and, and just kind of reorient her life and adjust her expectations so that she could be what Boaz needed her to be. So Bo, he started growing up, and he was a handful. He was a wild child. Um, when he was little bitty, he had a hard time falling asleep. And so, I mean, he could walk and stuff, but he just, he hated being in the bed. He wanted to be up and around all the time. So you would have to sit on the edge of his bed and just put your hand on him so he would know you're there so he wouldn't try to escape. And this, this, ha this had to be done every single night. And sometimes this took a few minutes, sometimes this took a few hours. And my mom did that every night. I mean, sometimes we helped, but we were losers, so we didn't help very much. Um, so my mom would just do that, just every night, sit with Bo until he fell asleep. And then he got a little bit bigger and he, he was a very fast runner. And so when my mom's back was turned, he would just take off into the woods. We lived in the country. And so we'd go out search party style. That's when you're glad you have nine kids. And it's like, go fun, Bo. And we'd yell for him until we found him and she'd be crying. And it was just stress, stress, stress. One time he put a CD in the microwave, blew it up. One time our neighbors had this beautiful brand new sports car. He got on top and just started pretending it was a trampoline until there was a huge dent in the top. You know, hundreds of dollars had to fix it. Just all, he was just had a wild imagination. He, I mean, I could talk for a long time about the crazy stuff he did. But um, I, I just tell you that to say it was hard. <laughs> it was especially for my mom, for whom the burden of most of his care fell. And, but she did it. She just did what needed to be done. And she kept saying yes. And she cared for him and loved him. And um, man, I, she didn't know when he was little. And at that point, she didn't know what her yes meant. She just knew that this was what to do. This was what to say. This is how to respond. And so now I want to tell you all, Bo will be 28 tomorrow. Tomorrow is actually his birthday. I have a picture of, of my mom and Bo to show you all. They're so cute. Um, so, but I want to tell you that Bo is maybe the greatest gift that my family has received. He is absolutely a gift from God. He is the most joyful, hilarious person uh, he makes us all laugh like crazy. He gives the very best hugs. He's just a joy. I, I, all my family lives in Georgia. I live here, and Bo's the one I miss the most. I just always can't wait to be around him. But he's such a blessing, and I, I, especially being the age I am now that my mom was when he was little, I'm so thankful for her yes. I mean, she could have responded in lots of different ways to being Bo's mom. 
But because she said yes, because she surrendered her plans, her expectations for her life to the Lord, it has affected generations. Do you see that? My kids get to have Bo for their uncle, which is so fun, and they love him, and they love just the variety of people that God makes and how beautiful they are and what they bring to life and what they show us about God. I'm so thankful for her, yes. I'm so thankful for how it's impacted the generations. I know that my parents would stand up here today and they would say, oh, God knew so much better than we did what was good for us and what, and his plans were better than our plans. So we all have ideals for our lives, right? We all have plans. We all have things we're moving toward, things we want to happen. But most of our plans and desires involve safety and comfort and, you know, plenty of money and convenience and our kids doing what they're supposed to do and all of that. But God's ideal for us is to be aligned with what he made us for, is for us to become the men and women that he created us to be. And usually it's the harder things in life that accomplish that. Uh, There's things in us that we need to get out, that we need to be rid of, like selfishness and pride and, you know, jealousy and hatred and all these things in us that God needs to get out of us to make us free, to make us who he intended us to be. I love what Eugene Peterson says about this. He says, the aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible, to deal with the reality of life discover truth, create beauty, and act out love. It's hard to trust though, isn't it? We love to feel like we're in control. We love to feel like this is what I want. This is I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna do all the things I should do and it'll all work out. We're afraid of what God might ask us to do if we say yes. You know, is he gonna make me weird? Is he gonna make me a weirdo? Is he gonna make me like move across the world and live in a hut and give all my money away. Like we don't wanna let go because it's scary to let go. But God says to us, just like he said to Mary, just like he said to my mom, don't be afraid. His plan for you is better than your plan for yourself. It is, I promise. And the whole way that we follow Jesus is the way of trust. It's the way of following, okay? And when you follow, you look at the person in front of you. Our family loves to hike, we like to hike. Not around here, sad around here, but we go to the mountains as much as we can because we love them. But when you're hiking in the mountains, the, the trails are often very narrow and you have to go single file. I mean, there might be like, you know, you might fall off if you're side by side. And when you're single file, especially, you know, you can't see the path in front of you. You certainly can't see the destination. You're just glued to the person in front of you. You're stepping where they step. You're doing what they do. You can't really see what's ahead. You're just following, you're trusting. That's what we do with Jesus. That's how we follow Jesus. He doesn't give us the 10 year plan and say, you know what, it's, it's all gonna work out like this and this and this and you're never gonna have any problems. We live in a broken world and we're free and we're free to do bad things to each other. And so we're gonna face hard things, but Jesus is working in the midst of all this and he just tells us to trust and to follow him. We're trusting that he's leading us somewhere beautiful. And our yes today is connected to eternity. Our yes in the moments when it's hard, our everyday yes is affecting later beyond this life. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. So how do we know that we can even trust God? It's so hard to trust. 
How do we even know that God is trustworthy, that he's worthy of our yes? Well, Jesus said yes to God first. He said yes when the father said, you need to go and step into the story and become a vulnerable human being and walk with these people and wash their dirty feet and show them what love is and then ultimately lay down your life. And Jesus said yes to that. He said yes and his yes meant suffering. His yes meant separation, alienation, betrayal, vulnerability, hunger. He went through all of these things because you and I were worth it to him. Because he loves us that much. The language that Mary used when she said, let it be to me as you have said, which meant she was laying down her own plans. And she was saying, whatever you say, I will follow because I trust you. That's the same language that Jesus used in the garden right before he was going to be executed unjustly. What did he say? Not my will, yours be done. It was the language of surrender. It was the language of trust. It's the language of faith. It's the same thing you and I say over and over and over. Let it be to me according to your word, Lord. You are king, you are Lord. So when it's hard to say yes, if you're in a season like my mom was maybe, hard season of parenting, hard season of marriage, hard season of work, when it's hard to say yes, we look to Jesus. We remember that he said yes first. Hebrews 12 says, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The only thing Jesus did not have was you and me. That was the joy that was set before him. That's what, it was worth it to him to experience all those things that he did not have to experience. He chose to experience because he loves you and he loves me and he made us to know him and he made us to be in communion with him and we could not do that because we said, no, God, we're good. We wanna be in control of our life. We don't wanna follow your way. And so Jesus came and rescued us. He proved his love on the cross. He proved that he's absolutely trustworthy and he's absolutely worthy of our yes. And I know it's easy to go, well, I haven't had an angel come to me and tell me what I need to do, so who cares? But the reality is the everyday yeses, the everyday aligning of our will to God's will, the, the dying to our own urges and desires and flesh, that, that's a yes. We know that God's called us to love. He says it in his word. We know that he's called us to forgive. That's hard. These are the everyday yeses that matter, that add up to a life of faith and legacy. And when we, when we leave this life and when we see Jesus, he'll say, well done. Not that we saw the whole thing, not that we did everything perfect, but we said yes when we needed to. And there's always a yes. There's always a yes waiting. So I'm wondering this morning, what is your yes? What is God asking you to do? And I am not minimizing that that yes might be hard, that that yes might cost you in this moment, in this life, in this season, but it is worth it to say yes. Maybe you're in a job that is just hard. Maybe you have a supervisor that's antagonistic and it's hard to say yes and it's hard to choose love and respect and do the things that Jesus told you to do. Maybe that's your yes, you just keep, Keep showing up, keep being faithful. Maybe you're in a marriage that you feel like is hopeless and God is saying, stay in the story, 
Say yes. Say yes to forgiveness. Say yes to love. Say yes to what they need instead of what you want. That's a hard yes. But Jesus may be asking you to do that this morning. Maybe he's asking you to say yes to generosity. Maybe you're holding on to your money so tight. And Jesus is like, I want you to be free. Give it away. Trust me with your bank account. That's a hard yes, but you will be freer. I will be freer with every yes we give to Jesus. He has proved that he is absolutely worthy of our yes. I don't know where you are today. I don't know, you may be like, I don't even believe any of this stuff. But I encourage you to be like Mary and just ask questions. Just, just lean in. God may wanna show you today that he's real and that he loves you and that he has a plan for your life and that maybe some things that you think about him are not accurate. Maybe the yes that he's inviting you to is just stepping toward faith, stepping toward giving, you, giving him your allegiance for the first time this morning. So I want us to just take a minute. We're just gonna pray together. So I invite you to just close your eyes, focus in on Jesus and ask him, what is the yes you want from me? What is the thing that you are holding onto that Jesus is saying, open your hands and let it go and trust me and worship me like Mary did, even in the, in the questions and the uncertainty. I don't know what he's saying, but I believe he wants to speak to us this morning. So just take a moment and listen. Jesus, thank you that you said yes to us first. Thank you that you humbled yourself and walked among us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you suffered and died so that we could be brought back into right relationship with God. Thank you that you have proved your love to us over and over with your yeses to the Father. Thank you that you are trustworthy with every yes. I pray for those this morning, God, who are in a hard season. Would you encourage them? Would you remind them that their yes matters? Not just to them, but to generations. God, for those who are just in that conversational stage, who are asking questions, I pray that you'd make yourself known to them, that you just... Show them how beautiful your love for them is and how real it is. And my prayer for us is that we would be people who give you our wholehearted yes, trusting that you know the beginning and you know the end and you know everything in between and you will walk with us through whatever we're walking through. Help us trust you like Mary did. Help us worship in the meantime, like Mary did. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for your yes. And we pray you give us the courage to be people who say yes to you. In Jesus' name.